0: Welcome to the Weldonomics Podcast, brought to you by the UQS Diversity Team.
1: I'm Liam. I'm Bronwyn.
0: I'm Jo. And I'm Maylise. And each week, we bring in a new guest to talk about the issues that matter.
1: I would like to respectfully acknowledge the Pubu and Jagra people of Mianjin, who are the traditional custodians and first people of the land where we're speaking from today. I also want to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. I would like to pay my respects to the elders past, present, and emerging, and would like to extend my respects to the Aboriginal listeners of this podcast.
0: Now I'd like to welcome our guests for today, Dr. Fabienne Ramos and Dr. Belinda Eslik, who are here to talk to us about lean-in feminism um, and how harmful this mindset can be, especially for women in business. Fabi and
1: Belinda, you can introduce yourselves. Of course.
2: Cool. Belinda, do you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> um, my name is Belinda Eslick. I'm uh, currently a, a casual academic in gender studies at the University of Queensland. I'm um, currently working as a tutor in gender studies and previously I've been a, a tutor in feminist philosophy in the School of Historical and Philosophical Inquiry. Uh, and I have a PhD in gender studies from UQ also.
1: Um, and my name is Fabian Ramos, or Ramos, depending if you wanted to uh, pronounce it in English or Portuguese, so you can feel free to <laughs> decide. Um, I'm currently a lecturer and tutor in the Gender Studies program at UQ, and I work with Belinda currently in the uh, second year subject, uh, Gender and Cultures, and I also teach in the first year subject, uh, Gender Matters. Uh, originally, I have a PhD in education with a focus on intersectional and feminist theory. So that's how I'm here talking to you today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank
2: you for having us.
0: Thank you for coming on. So yeah, just for context, I took Gender 1010, which is Gender Matters last semester, which is how I know Fabian and Belinda, who are my lecturers and tutors. Um, so yeah. So a lot of our listeners may not have heard the term lean-in feminism. Could
1: you explain it to us?
3: Uh, Sure, I
1: can give a kind of like a brief definition. I think there's, um, so I think really it's important to kind of start with Sandberg's book from 2013 that was Lean In and I think that's when uh, the term became popular and uh, kind of in a simple way, Lean In feminism refers to a very specific type of feminism that is uh, one key word is this idea of breaking the glass ceiling. So it's this idea of individual women climbing the corporate ladder, ladder and kind of getting more and more into positions of power and their argument is that if more women are in positions of power, then the that um, conditions for all women would improve. I think in, if you're kind of just taking that as the message, it's you can say, oh, that's pretty cool. I think if we have more women, CEO, perhaps if we have a woman president, a woman president or uh, the prime minister, and maybe if that's, uh, that would improve the conditions for all, all women, that is a good thing. However, there's actually if you start to look a little bit more deeper into the definition of Lenin and what it actually stands for, there's a lot of problematic. So we can we can unpack that as we go. So I'll just I'll just kind of just fall to Belinda and then I can formulate into what I mean by the critique of Lenin.
2: Yeah, I, I'd probably just say that there was a book published a few years ago called Lenin by Cheryl Sandberg, who's the Chief Operating Officer of Facebook and as Fabi was saying that it was a book that was aimed at women working in the corporate sector or working in um, male-dominated industries or institutions and sort of advising women on how to overcome the barriers to positions of power and authority that are typically dominated by men and so I think it discusses, I haven't read the book, I should say, but I've read a lot of critiques of the book. Um, yeah, it, it discusses that gap between women's positions or the, that, that problem of the glass ceiling. So women can sort of make their way, a certain way up the so-called ladder, but the the really high positions are male-dominated. So it, the book had advice and tips, as I understand, of how women could lean into those positions and to sort of put the responsibility on those individual women to change their behaviour to be more successful um, and more assertive and ask for raises and um, promotions. So that that the term lean in feminism has been popularised since that book was published, but it's not necessarily a new kind of feminism that existed before the book was published, but the book sort of um, embodies that kind of feminism.
1: Mm. Yes, definitely. And I think the the other term that is commonly used is corporate feminism as well, mm. like when we're talking about Lenin fem- feminism. And I just wanted to uh, expand on uh, what uh, Belinda was talking about, this idea of in- individualism. So very much this idea of Lenin feminism is based on this idea of individual promotion. So if you work really hard and if you're really motivated and if you're really ambitious, you can actually make it to the top. That's and very assertive. Idea. And assertive, yeah. So it's kind of, that's what, what the book's saying. And that in itself is not necessarily a bad thing if you're actually giving tips to, to like-minded women in the corporate world. I think one of the key points of critique is that when you actually call that feminism, because if we're thinking about feminism in the idea of liberation for all women, and I would actually say, I would prefer to say that feminism is about liberation for all genders because it's about creating a world where we can live more respectfully and ethically in relationship to everyone. So the idea of Lin in feminism is the problem is sorry, is actually calling feminism when in fact it's actually trying to promote the promotion and advancement of a very specific group of women. It's a very specific group of women who is actually uh, she's talking to, but she's actually claiming to talk to all women and for all women. and I think that's one of the key issues that many uh, uh, critics have with the the idea and uh, also this idea that you're climbing the corporate ladder and you're adapting to this very masculine world and you're not actually trying to make changes to the structure you're just trying to adapt yourself to the structure and i think also we shouldn't be unfair to say it's okay if people want to be the next CEO and I think it's just like it's unfair to say like because people are just trying to do the best with what they have. I think the issue is when you're actually claiming that this is something revolutionary that's actually going to bring liberation to all women when in fact this is actually bringing the advancement of a very specific and a very niche group of women and without really taking into consideration huge structural Factors that cause inequality and cause the oppression of the actual majority of uh, men and women. But if, if we're kind of focusing on the idea of women, the women who are kind of the underbelly of the very system that is providing the uh, privilege of people like uh, Sandberg. And again, here, yeah, I think it's very unfair to just demonize people like Cheryl. I think that she's actually talking from an honest place. And again, I think the point of trouble is when you're claiming that is feminism and when you actually claiming to talk for all women. Mm.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, you've kind of answered the next question, which was how this type of mindset is harmful for women in the corporate world. And I think, yeah, the issue is that it places the onus on the individual rather than on the system. Mm. Yeah, Belinda, did you want to add anything?
2: Yeah, just as, as you say, it, it places the responsibility on individual women to change their behaviour and, as Fabi was saying, adapt to what is a very masculine system or institution and we shouldn't forget that all of our major institutions and corporations are patriarchal institutions and corporations that were um, created by men and for men and so simply inserting women into those institutions is quite Conservative, as Fabi's saying, if you're, if you're calling that feminism, it's quite conservative and not leading to any kind of radical systemic change.
3: Mm.
1: And I think for the listeners, listeners who are interested in a really, for me, a really intelligent uh, and balanced critique on lean in, I would recommend an article by Bell Hooks called Dig Deep Beyond Linen. I was just reading this again this afternoon, and I'm sure that May uh, can share the link with you in, in the website. I'm not sure how it works, but I'm happy to share. And I think it's a really nice resource to kind of uh, have an, like a deeper understanding because uh, Bell Hooks is. Uh, criticizing, but also looking at some of the, the positives that of what Sanderberg is saying in terms of giving tips to her kind of, to her class of women, but again, not recognizing all of these uh, really, really terrible structural uh, issues that is that it's pretty much completely ignored. And here we can, we, can, we can really think about things like class and race. So there's no really any sort of attempt of uh, being intersectional in this kind of feminism. Yeah, because it's igno- as as Berlin is saying, it's ignoring structural uh, issues.
2: Yeah, I think that's something as well. It's that it's it's aiming for equality with men within the class that you're already in. And so women who this book is aimed at um, or this kind of feminism is aimed at are already quite um, privileged within society and they're already doing quite well to be within a position to be able to climb the ladder. And so if you're going to call this feminism, it's quite conservative because it's not recognising the people who aren't even on the ladder or, or have no access to the ladder and the ways that the institutions that women are seeking access to perpetuate a disadvantage for those people mm.
3: so would you say this is like quite an elitist view of feminism uh, yeah I would yes I agree
1: and I would go and further it's this idea of uh, gender equality within the existing social system and within their own social class and with people from their own social status and again kind of just going back I'm just kind of repeating myself but I think it's really important it really reinforces this idea of meritocracy If you work hard enough, you can achieve all of your dreams. Just keep working. And I think, of course, there's no success if you don't work hard. It's not taking that away. However, it's not that simple because depending on where you're standing in the world and in society and within very complex and entangled um, systems of oppressions and privileges, you might never be able to actually achieve your dreams, regardless of how hard you try. And And that's the very crude and horrible reality. So I think it's a little bit um, naive to just say this work hard. But yeah, I mean, for, for some people, that's actually that's true, but not for everyone.
3: So like a common theme that I kind of see in Sandberg's writing is that the idea of putting the blame essentially back on women and saying, you know, like, if you work hard enough, you can achieve it. And I know she mentions a lot this idea of there being an ambition gap between men and women. Do you guys think that there is an ambition gap between men and women? <laughs> well, we could have a whole podcast just on that. Well, I'm
1: just, I talk too much, so just I'll just let Belinda go first. Uh,
2: um, it's not something I know a lot about, like the, the this level of, of ambition of women in the corporate world or in the business sector. It's something I've heard of being discussed. So I don't know if that's a thing but I I mean within the corporate world but I certainly don't think that women have fewer ambitions than men generally certainly less opportunity to fulfill their ambitions mm. our ambitions
1: Fabi? I think I would go with like what is ambition really like so we can we can actually get quite philosophical here is mm. that I think that even the very uh, concept of ambition is a social construction so there's kind of this expectation that I think it's, of course, it's changing, but like, uh, traditionally, that men would have this ambition that they would be very successful, and then they would be a provider for the family. And then women will have different types of ambition. So I think that's as a strong social construction. But what I see nowadays is that there is this insane kind of uh, expectations placed on women that we need to have this like, we need to be ambitious. If we actually, need to be CEOs. <laughs> like, if, you, if you're like a modern and progressive woman, you need to be ambitious. Otherwise, you're some sort of a failure. So you, whatever you actually set your mind to, you need this word ambition is quite a key word. So I think it's, it's, it's part of a narrative. So I, I don't think that necessarily there is a gap in ambition. I think there is just a, a construction, in my opinion. I
2: would just add, I think, talking about a so-called ambition gap within the corporate world, and as though, I'm not saying that that there's, there's not inequality or disadvantage within corporations, but talking about it as a problem sort of, again, makes women out to be sort of failures or failing at not being ambitious enough and then aspiring perhaps to be more ambitious at something that. Perhaps isn't very good for us all <laughs> so it's what is worth being ambitious for and we should probably think a little harder about about that
1: mm. But I also wanted to uh, say that also like, it's putting everyone into boxes because it's also kind of putting this expectation that men, they're following one type of masculinity where they need to be ambitious. Mm -hmm. If they are not ambitious, then they are not real men. Um, Maybe and here I'm I'm not really familiar with exactly with the corporate world, but I would imagine that would apply to uh, most areas. So I think that it's kind of unfair expectation on all genders. But it's also
2: creating a new expectation of the so-called modern woman, to be that conventionally masculine kind of ambitious. So it's creating these new gender norms, I guess, um, within that system. Yeah. It
0: harms harms everyone. Yeah. It does. (laughs) Pretty much.
3: So a common saying is gender equity is the road to gender equality. A lot of people still confuse the two. So firstly, do you agree with this? And secondly, could you explain the difference between the two for our listeners?
2: Gender equity is an acknowledgement of the disadvantage that one gender has over another. So if equality means the same for everyone, equity is a recognition that someone might be a bit further behind and so needs um, something extra to catch up in in essence. That's how I would define that. And I think gender equity is, I would agree with that statement, that that is required before we can start to talk about anything like equality but I also think gender equality is quite a conservative aim and that it's I mean conceptually it's equality with something that with a position that already exists and that is I'll speak for myself that's not something that I particularly want and I think societally we should be aiming for something a bit more radical than than gender equality
1: yes um, I, I absolutely agree with Belinda. So I believe in equity, but I don't, I don't necessarily believe in equality because I think equality brings a connotation, a semantic connotation that we're all the same and we are not all the same. So it's this idea of uh, living with difference, but in a, in a respectful and reciprocal way, in a non-hierarchical way. So it, it does, we are still, we're still different. And that would apply to whatever gender people might identify themselves with. So I don't think that's about becoming the same, but having uh, the same uh, amount of respect and the same amount of opportunity. And I think that's why I would kind of yeah, align myself more with this idea of equity. And maybe you can give some examples here. Uh, I was just thinking of some examples as I was kind of planning for the podcast. Is this maybe the idea of parental leave? And so I think that's kind of one that people could, could relate to because right now it actually forces women to stay at home whilst the dad has to go back to work so if we're talking about equity where well i think that uh companies for example if we're looking at the corporate world we have more flexible systems where depending on different family situations there would could be a more balanced way in which uh, parents could define their leave and also the kind of sharing of the household, load the housework and and caring for the children. So just one one very basic example that I'm sure that people can
2: relate to. Yeah. Uh, Just since Fabi brought up parenting, I think it's also important to remember that motherhood and fatherhood is experienced differently, especially during pregnancy. And that's that's I think an issue with talking about gender equality within corporations, is that if you're if if women are leaning into these male-dominated institutions that have been designed for male bodies. The experience of something like pregnancy or even menstruation or menopause or any of the bodily experiences that women experience, there's not really the consideration or space for those different experiences. So I think I, I absolutely agree with what Fabi was saying about recognition of difference rather than aiming for equality is important. Yeah.
1: I, I, I definitely agree with Belinda. And again, here's just this idea just to kind of reinforce to the listeners that when we're talking about equality is kind of equality of respect uh, mm. and dignity, but within really respecting that people are different. And I think that's a, it's a perfect example. So We do have different embodiments and, and needs. So I think uh, kind of respecting that difference within, within workplace would be a step in the right direction for sure.
0: Yeah. Mm. That's so important to remember. Um, so now, how does capitalism play a role in sustaining gender inequality?
1: <laughs> uh, good question. I think there's a, we can, again, we can, we can have a whole podcast. Just, I think... Okay, I can kind of try to define on what I would uh, understand is that historically capitalism depends on surplus and depends on profit. And for companies to have profit, they have to depend on low paid labor. So that's kind of, it's the bottom line and kind of the uh, underbelly of a capitalist system is that for the system to uh, be able to operate, they need uh, low paid workers and they also need unpaid workers. (laughs) And usually, unpaid workers were actually doing the heavy lifting at home and doing all of the caring types of positions. And historically, those, uh, those jobs and unpaid and very, very low paid, and at the very bottom of the economic system normally uh, places heavily populated by women and here i should bring also women of color and in, in many ways we can say also migrants who, if we're going to use this terminology that i do not like first world countries uh, where well, we can use terminology global north but in, in so what, what we need to think about is a capitalist system having an underbelly and this underbelly is heavily based on the workforce from women. And this is a very simplistic explanation, but that's kind of the basics, really. And I think
2: that the, the problem of lean-in feminism or liberal feminisms or corporate feminisms more broadly is that when a woman is able to become a CEO or get a, a high-flying corporate job and that might be great for her, it might be, you know, improve her quality of life, but it also may not. I mean, there's a lot of research about how in heterosexual couples, when both partners are working full-time, that the woman still does the, the bulk of the domestic work at home, that if she chooses not to, then it's often outsourced to domestic workers who come in and clean or cook or take care of children if there are children involved. And so I think it's really important to remember that if a woman is seeking liberation or um, equality with men by gaining a promotion or getting a better job, she might be liberated from the home or from domestic labour or from the kitchen or, or whatever. But that work is just relocated to somebody else um, who is, as Fabi was saying, typically a woman, and she'll be a a poorer woman um, and a or a migrant woman or a marginalized woman in some in some form. So it's just that work is or that oppression is is relocated to the the underbelly of capitalism, as Fabi was saying. Mm.
1: And I think uh, that reminds me that capitalism probably has benefited some women in terms of liberation. It allowed like a very small percentage of like an elite of women to actually be liberated because they would they they were able to follow the careers that they wanted to and kind of outsource the domestic work, for example, to other women. So some women were probably liberated, but the vast majority were not and yeah and again
2: I think it's important to remember that it's not about demonizing these women in particular um Mm -hmm. necessarily again everyone has ambitions and everyone wants to succeed and do well in life it's just a matter of thinking about how beneficial is this way of thinking for women worldwide but also our society and our planet as well yeah
1: and I think in I think in places in forums and places like this, I think it's important what you're saying it's not about demonizing but about starting to have more honest and open conversations where we can kind of start to facing some kind of our own responsibilities with the privilege that we we have to be in in places like we or, or all of us are today. And I was just thinking that one maybe one example of this idea of how capitalism contribute to gender inequality is we can see COVID-19, what's happening because uh, like a lot of the studies are showing that the people who are actually losing their jobs and the amount of domestic work and all of that stuff is actually uh, falling heavily on the shoulders of women. So there's there's a lot of statistics if people are curious to have a look at what's what's happening in that regard. And I think with COVID-19
2: is that what's happened is we've seen well, a lot of people have awoken to the importance of the work that conventionally women do. So the, the importance of of cleaners and retail workers and health workers and carers, whether for children or the elderly or family members, um, I think that that's certainly become highly apparent. But also not only how much as a society we rely on that work and that care, but also how undervalued it is, how low-paid, how problematic the working conditions are for those workers as well. We could talk about that for a whole <laughs> podcast as well. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think there, there are podcasts about the, the gendered effects of COVID. So
0: For sure. But I just wanted to add that when I was researching, a lot of people say that lean-in feminism is kind of like trickle-down feminism. So having more women in power is not necessarily good if they're still upholding those, you know, capitalist, classist values, which is obviously what um, we talked about above.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think it's important to emphasise that it is important. Of course, it's important that women have the same opportunity to access the same positions that, that men have conventionally held. And also if, if those institutions aren't feminist or aren't um, doing anything to transform the conditions for women generally then it's it's not trickling down there's not any broader change occurring
3: that's it so we've got one last question before we let you guys go what would be an alternative to lean in feminism I think there are many but
1: one that really comes to mind is well we've with- we have been discussing for some time now in terms of intersectional uh, feminism and the work of Bell Hooks here comes to mind as someone, if if anyone needs an introduction to intersectional feminism, I highly recommend reading her work because for me it's very profound, but it's, it's really accessible. Uh, and I just wanted to read a quote from her. Uh, maybe that's kind of like just food for thought. So she says, we all need to remember the visionary feminist goal, which is not of, of women running the world as it is, but women doing our past to change the world so that freedom and justice, the opportunity to have optimal well-being can be equally shared by everyone, whatever gender they might be. So I think that's kind of, for me, there is an alternative where we actually thinking about oppressions and in in terms of intersectionality, in terms of thinking about race, class, gender, obviously, sexuality, able-bodiedness, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is an alternative because it's, it's actually thinking deeply and it's not living a fantasy world of uh, let's all hold hands and be friends and we, oh, we're we just going to climb the corporate ladder and we're going to be the CEO and you're going to be the prime minister and all problems will be solved. I don't think that that's very helpful at all. And yes, well done if you can actually become the next CEO. That's really good. And I'm sure that people have worked really hard to get that but actually that's not going to really change the world it might change your world and sorry i'll kind of all my my mind goes really fast but i think also just putting into the hands of individuals to change the world i think that's also not very fair i think that we can make little changes in the worlds that we live in but i think that just by being in positions of power without changing the logics and changing kind of mind frames. For me, it doesn't really matter if it's a man or a woman or or whatever. Yes, so I'll stop now. But for me, one key alternative is thinking of feminism in terms of intersectionality. Another big
2: movement that comes to mind is feminism for the 99%, which is a, a feminist movement that has emerged within the past few years, especially since... women's marches in 2017 and it is that those who are involved in um, sort of describing feminism for the 99% position it as in direct opposition really to lean in feminism and to the, the corporate kind of feminism that is evident in Sandberg's book. So that is, in essence, a, a feminism that is for the majority um, and not serving only the the, the 1% or the, the small minority of women who are, already have access to positions of privilege. So it is a, a much more radical feminism that aims to overcome the, the problems of capitalism broadly, but it's also, as, as Fabi's describing, an, an intersectional kind of feminism that acknowledges the, various forms of oppression that people experience.
0: Yeah, intersectionality is really the key, I think. But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today, Fabi and Belinda. I really wanted to talk about lean in and corporate feminism on the podcast because I know I was telling Joe that it's harmed me personally because it's such a prevalent mindset in the business and corporate world. So that's why I really wanted to talk about it and to kind of pass on the knowledge to other people.
3: <laughs>
1: mm. So, yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And it's it's really great that you're actually making the space here in this podcast to talk to other aspiring uh, business people to think about this kind of thing. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And something, I mean, to keep in mind is for people who are listening
2: and are in the corporate world is that if you are in positions of power, you can do things to change things. So I think it's a good reminder of having these critiques of lean in feminism or corporate feminism, that if you're in that position, you can use that power for good (laughs) and make changes within the institutions that you've gained access to.